Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. John 5, and as you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, we are absolutely in need of you to hear from you today. What is this about overcoming the world? We need to know. Will you teach us? Will you remind us? Will you tell us again and give us ears to hear you and hearts to respond? We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. may be seated. Now let me uh, tell you why it's a good thing to be repetitive. Each week at staff meeting, when we decide that uh, there is something we need to, to communicate to the congregation, we discuss how will we communicate that to the congregation. Usually, it is that we will send out an engage email. Sunday morning, we'll make an, an announcement. We'll put up a slide before worship on Sunday morning, put an announcement in the worship guide, and we often use this phrase, it is impossible for us to over-communicate. Now, you might think that's overkill. But with all of that, we still have people say, I never heard anything about that. (laughs) And we get the blame for that. Now, I'm not telling you that to rebuke you. Although if you don't read our emails, maybe, maybe you need to be rebuked, but that, that's not the point uh, of this. 
I want to share that with you because we recognize that that's, that's a human trait. The, the need to be reminded. We need repetition for, for things to, to sink in. You who are parents know that. It's not as though you say something once and then you never have to say it again, is it? We need repetition. We look in in the scripture and throughout the Bible, we see God again and again reminding his people of their history. Telling them the, the things he has done to bring salvation to his people. And then, often it's not that long before they forget and they turn to other gods or they rebel and then he reminds them again. Now, know this, that God doesn't have to say things over and over for them to be important or true. He only has to say them one time and it is absolute truth. And it is important enough to respond to. All the more reason when he does repeat things, we have to perk up and listen and hear what he has to say. So we see in 1 John, and I told you this before we ever began the book, that there would be repetition in this book, and there is repetition. It is today. Uh, it will be until we finish uh, this book. We will feel like we've heard this before in some way. I've told you about the test that John gives so people can know if they are believers. We've seen the test of belief the test of obedience, and the test of love, and we have seen those repeated several times each. That is how important they are for us to know if we are a believer, to look at the test that he gives and then test it against our own hearts, our own, our own lives, to see if we're a believer or not. Now let's call these family traits... You know, you can, you can be in a family and not necessarily look like one another, although often there is that. But usually with a family, over a period of time, you will begin to see traits that are common to that family. And that's what these are that he gives to us. So let's listen again. Verse one, we see, uh, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So John starts this section uh, with two of the three tests in that one verse. The first test is believing that Jesus is the Christ. So let's talk about 
uh, what this belief is. It is not, as we have said before, an intellectual thing. It can't uh, be only acknowledging these things in our head or in our intellect and saying, yeah, I'm sure those are true. That's necessary, but that can't be all. It's got to be more. Here, uh, here's how Charles Spurgeon described it. The faith intended in the text evidently rests upon a person, upon Jesus. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It's not believe about a doctrine, nor an opinion, nor a formula, but belief concerning a person. So, if you are ever talking with somebody and, and you begin to wonder, you know what, they, they almost sound like they may be in, in one of these cults that's around. You know what you do? Ask them about the person of Jesus. What is it you believe about the person of Christ? Is Jesus a God who has come to save his people from their sin? Is he and he alone your only hope for salvation? Is his work on the cross your only hope for salvation? That will get to the core of one's belief. So, why does John say if you believe that you're born of God? Because if God has not given you a new heart, theological term here, if he's not regenerated you, if God has not given you a new heart, the way Jesus put it with Nicodemus is, being born again. Being born again isn't when you make a decision for Christ. It's when you're given a new heart so that then you receive Christ after that. You can't believe unless he first gives you a new heart. And if you believe, it's because you've been regenerated. You've been born of God. He has given you that new heart. So John quickly moves uh, on to family trait number two. The first one's that, that believing. The second family trait. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So the second trait is love for other believers. Um, we've seen, again, we've seen that before. It keeps coming up as a, a, a trait of a true believer. And, and that's, it's not just love for, for God, but love for God's people. You know, it's easy, easier sometimes to love God, isn't it? Sometimes it's harder to love those who follow Christ but he says it over and over again. 
If you don't love God's people, he says, you don't even know God. He doesn't abide in you. He says it even stronger. He says, you're a liar if you don't love God's people. That's how you know you're saved. It is a a, a trait of one who is saved. It's not how you become saved, but it is that family trait that will be in one who is in the family, who is a child of the living God. So then John connects the the third trait of being a child of the living God to to being in God's family with the second trait, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So uh, we believe, if we believe, then we will love God's people. And if we love God's people, we will love God and obey his commandments, he says. That's, That's how it's going to work. Again, notice the order. Obedience does not come before belief. It's not you obey, you get your life together, and then you're one of his. It's you believe, he gives you a new heart. And then obedience is going to be a trait that that shows you're one of his children. To obey his commandments, Jesus already taught that, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So loving God and obeying God are distinguishable, but they're not separable. You can't have one without the other. So what's John talking about when he says obeying his commandments? Is he talking about the Ten Commandments? Well... Yes, of course, but not just the Ten Commandments. It's everything that he has commanded. Someone may say, well, wait, I I thought once you come to Christ, you're not under the law. Well, of course, that's true in a sense, but it doesn't mean that we ignore the law. Or that keeping the law is not good for us. Once you come to Christ, obedience is an evidence of God abiding in you. It was given so that we can live in the way that's best for us. But, but here's the thing. What, what John says next should be a great comfort to us. Verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So before God gives you a new heart, God's commandments press down on us with a weight that we cannot bear. His commandments show us that how far we are from God how imperfect we are when we come to Christ because of our new heart. It changes our whole view of the law to where it should no longer be a burden, 
because it's not about us trying to keep the law in order to keep in good stead with God or to gain his, his favor or his salvation. We know we can't do that. So the burden is off. So with a new heart, we receive a new nature. And that nature delights in hearing the law of God. Delights in the law of God. John Piper says, when you des- uh, what you desire to do with your whole heart is not burdensome to do. So there's so many places in the Old Testament and particularly in the Psalms that talk about what, what uh, the person of God, the one who has a relationship with God, what their relationship to the law is. But I just want to read to you some verses from from one psalm. It's a long psalm. We're not going to read the whole thing, but Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 35, lead me in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 70, but I delight in your law. 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Delight. 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. No unbeliever calls God's law their delight. It doesn't happen if they understand what God's law says. That's only from the heart of a believer. Jerry Bridges in Transforming Grace says, uh, love provides the motive for obeying the commands of the law, but the law provides specific direction for exercising love. Isn't that a a great balance? Let me read it again. Love provides the motive for obeying the commands of the law, but the law provides specific direction for exercising love. And both of those are traits of the family. So in the child of the living God, it's not, I have to obey, but I delight in obeying my father because he's given me a new heart. So now we get to the application of what he's saying here. Verse 4 and 5. And I want you to listen to what word is repeated here. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is 
the Son of God. So that, that phrase overcome is used three times in these two verses. Now if that's the case, some will say, why is it that I don't feel like an overcomer? I mean, real believers saying that. Why is my life, some might say, more characterized by defeats than victories? Some believers thinking about trials that they're going through. Troubles they're having in their life or in their family. Seemingly seeing Satan at work and seemingly getting his way. Some believers being tempted and falling into sin, seeming to have more failures than successes. How's that fit with talking about being overcomers? Well, Jesus, first of all, was very realistic about this. John 16, 33, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. <laughs> Why do we have heart? Well, only, only one reason. Not because we're so great. He, he, he wanted to warn us. He wanted to warn his followers. You're going to have tribulations. And, and those he was talking to really did in the rest of their life. For many of them, it got much harder for them after they met Jesus than it was before. But he says, take heart, because I've overcome the world. Okay, so it doesn't mean no troubles. It doesn't mean uh, no problems in this life. Like those who preach the, the prosperity gospel, saying you come to Jesus and it'll, you'll be rich and wealthy and you won't have illness or disease or anything like that. That's nowhere near what Jesus taught. It's living this life knowing that because Christ dwells in us, he who abides in us is the one who's overcome. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you're from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Paul said it another way over in Romans 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here we go. All these things that sometimes we dwell on. Tribulation, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then Paul says what John says. And they're both saying what Jesus said. No, in, in, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. We're super invincibles, as one put it. <laughs> a man was uh, driving along with his little daughter on a spring day. Windows are down. 
thought I'd tell you about a spring day today. <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? Windows are down. A big bee flies in to the car. If that's ever happened to you, you know that can be frightening. Well, the little girl's allergic. And she just panics. The father grabs the bee. And of course, it stings him. And then he lets it go. And the bee's still flying around in, in the car. And the little girl continues to panic. And the father shows her his hand. says, look, what I got from the bee. And the stinger's still in his hand. He said, it's, it's harmless. That bee can't hurt you. There's no reason to panic. The most that bee could do was to annoy at that point. I think there's many, many Christians who are in similar situations. They see trials, they see uh, troubles, the work of Satan and failures, and misunderstand the reality of who they are and what has really happened. Listen to what God said in the last book of the Bible about what we will experience. Revelation 2.7 To the one who overcomes, some versions may say conquers, it's the same word. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 2.11 The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The one who overcomes will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That's Paul's. What can separate us? Revelation says nothing. Nothing. 3.21, the one who overcomes, I will grant him, and this is incredible, to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 1714, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And 21.7, the one who overcomes will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Phillips Brooks, who was a pastor who wrote O Little Town of Bethlehem, that may be what he's best known for. He said this, the great Easter truth is not that we are to live newly after death, may surprise you, but that we are to be new 
here and now by the power of the resurrection. Not so much that we are to live together as that we are too, but rather we may live nobly now because we are to live forever. See what he's saying? What he's saying is because of the resurrection, because of uh, him overcoming, because of us knowing how this all ends, that's how we live as overcomers in this life. If you're in Christ, you are an overcomer because Jesus stretches out for us his hand that removed the stinger of this world. The hand that says, take, take courage, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, uh, many, many of us, I'm sure, must confess that, that it's hard for us to live as overcomers. It's easier for us to dwell upon where we have failed. And Lord, we, we know this isn't about positive thinking. This is about what Jesus has done and will do. So will you give your comfort in helping us to know that that too is a trait of being a child of the living God, of being in your family. To live in the light of the one who has overcome this world, that very same one that dwells within us. Thank you for that.